0: TheYeshiva.net. So most of the Mimir explains the positivity. Eish oichla, is a consuming fire, and that means two things. Number one, just like a fire will not be contained, will not exist if it's not contained. Same is true, the Devar Hashem, sustaining the world, needs to be, so to speak, held down ferociously. And that is through either the wick or the logs, which he compared the wick, which creates a subtle flame to tefillah, and the logs, which creates a more tense flame, or a larger flame, through Torah and especially tzedakah, Mitzvahs, milish chasad and Eish oichla also means it's not enough to hold the fire down. The fire has to eat something. It has to consume. It has to convert something into the flame. It cannot just exist on its own. It needs to be fed. Something has to be. Something has to yield, give way as a result of the flame. He says, "Tayra Mitzvahs can only be because they're being experienced by a Jew who experiences the the, the heart, the passion." The and the klois It's the the habch. He explained that even though these are physical things, it's the branch of that tall cedar that ultimately lifts up that which you place on the branch to the highest heights. And that's the same is true with Torah and mitzvahs. And then he said, and all of this also exists in the opposite, zelo umazah this Eish Euchel and this Eish Zorah, and there are thoughts, words, and action which hold on to those fires. In other words, all passion has to be fed. No fire exists on its own. No fire exists on its own. We feed our holiness and we feed our addictions. Everything has to be fed. The shark has to be fed and the leviathan has to be fed. The wolf has to be fed and the sheep has to be fed. And whoever you feed lives, right? And grows. And And grows, yeah. Yeah. So when a person says, I have a sheep in me and I have a wolf in me, that's true. But who asked you to feed it? (laughs) If you wouldn't feed it, it would become emaciated. So it's all about, you have to feed the flame. The flame exists, but not without you feeding it. How do we feed it? We feed it in a very interesting way. Sometimes we feed it, we don't realize we're feeding it. In other words, we give the fire the credit. The fire doesn't get the credit, you get the credit. Both in the positive and in the negative. The fire is a fire. But the fire doesn't last if you don't feed it. This is a very fascinating idea because it basically means all addiction is being legitimized by the person's psyche. All habits, all instincts. It doesn't begin, There's no. I have a habit. It's a fire. You gotta feed it. I don't have a habit. I have a distortion in my mind. that's what I have. very important. It's not I have a habit I have, an, I have a distortion in my mind that's letting me feed it. I, it's a fire, it's a fire. What happens with a fire? if you don't pour, put an oil, you don't put in a wick, you don't put in. it goes out. it goes out. It needs the oxygen and it needs the material. It needs the substance to be able to consume, to destroy. That's what it needs. That's true with a locu. And Lahavdal, it's true with an Eish zara also. It's true with an Eish zara with an alien fire. So therefore, the fire has to be fed. And in that process, the person is also catapulted to a place that he would have never reached. In other words, the fire needs me, but through that, I also go to places that I never could have reached on my own. Again, both in the positive and in the destructive. And that's the concept of Kaf hakella, as discussed. So he spent most of the time discussing it in the ideal way of life and reality. And then a few lines he says, and you should just know that everything exists also in the opposite, in the same process, umaza, And that's back to the same idea that the human being is at the center of the universe. We are the interlacing link between heaven and earth. We are in the eye of the storm, In the on the axis. The human is the axis upon which the entire cosmos, physical and spiritual cosmos, rotates. And therefore, through the human being, he brings down the Eish Oichla or he brings down the Eish Zara. But his Machshavah Dibura Maisa is not just ineffective or apath or indifferent. It has a tremendous cataclysmic impact on not only on himself and his environment, but on the entire universe. And he continues, Va Utsalaza. The Eitzifer, the person experiencing the Kaf Hakela that we discussed, the spiritual slingshot, where the person is catapulted and transported into a place far beyond where even he can imagine he ends up with as a result of bringing down the Eish Zara, which then lifts him up or belittles him to very lowly places. The is Asoy Satshuva, on this, you have the doing of Tshuva. Especially, the Bible was said before Yom Kippur, Shabbat Shuvah. Especially, that's the time that's designated for everything to go back, to be returned to its source. And then the person will allow his soul to pour out in meridus. Meridus means frustration. On his distance of the light from the light of God. And he will return to Hashem. And he will have compassion on him. As the Possum says in Tehillim. They cried out to God in their tzar, in their distress. When a person feels a sense of distress, a sense of, of agony, something is pinched, a spiritual nerve is pinched. So there's an outpouring of the soul. Get me out of this place. I don't want to be here the main element of Tshuva, however, is we say in Davening, in the Pesach, it says, E'lecha Hashem Nafshiyas. Te'hillim Chafey, L'david, lecha Hashem Nafshiyas. Which, by the way, according to the Arizal, this is the Mizmer that's set for Nefil HaSapaya. After Tachnon, when you sit down, Nefil HaSapaya, what's called falling on the face, the final part of the confession, according to Nisach, Arizal, the Mizmer that's set both for Shachrus and Mincha, and Tachnon is... The entire capital of Tehillim. Which finishes different Ashkenaz and to have something else. Huh? I think Hafei finishes You're right. Very good. Excellent. <laughs> they added one Pasek from a different Mizmer. <laughs> How do you know that? <laughs> That's not usually a Tikkun that I get. <laughs> Very good. You're right. You're 100 percent right. Good. Zog's good. I stand corrected. You understood what he said. The last pasuk is pdeil toim pdeil lekimus yisroam mekaltzar yisav. That's it. And then they added from kapitel kof lamed shiramalas me maamakim vuliyvedes yisroam mekalav yisav. Good. So what's l'david elach hashem nafshiyessa? He says. To you, God, I lift up my soul, meaning to align, to be <laughs> this is what Shuv is. You should have one Ratsan focused on his Father in Heaven, with a desire, and a soul literally going out, and to ask Hashem, that the light of God should dwell on him, and his will should dwell on him, and his will should dwell on him that he should be able to experience life from the perspective of Ratzin Hashem, and therefore he has no Ratzin outside of Ratzin Hashem, because he realigns himself with his true self, which is the oneness of Hashem, and therefore he experiences the Gilui, the presence of the light of God, and his Ratzin, Lias sloi bitol Ratzin. I experience his Ratzin, so therefore there's no separate Al Aldovar zetiknu loymar bakasha slach lonu lonu. This is the theme of why the Chazal instituted the famous bruches of Tshuva, of avinu He says, Forgive us for we sinned. We transgressed. Now we can understand what it means. It doesn't mean literally. Forgive me because I sinned. I sinned to you, I want you to forgive me. Why doesn't that mean literally? So he says, Matifalay. This is based on a Pasakaniv. Pasikaniev says, Imchatasa Matifalay. Imrabhu Shaecha Matasa Lai. Im Tadakta Matitanlai. Umami Yatcha Yikak. So basically Apasakaniev. Basically, Imchatasa, he he says at the beginning of the Pasak. You see it's funny. Ki im is with the Rosh Hatevis, but really the second word im is part of the pasuk. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> you have to know the pasuk, you understand? It sounds like ki im, really. Eina kipshutai, ki because im chatasa, the pasuk says, im chatasa matifle, what are you going to do to him? Im pashata matasalai. Im Tzadak, if you're going to be a Tzadik, what are you going to give him? Mami yod Regular forgiveness, we understand what forgiveness is. You hurt me. You lied to me, you embarrassed me, you betrayed me, you stole from me, you gossiped about me, you slandered me, you embarrassed me. Whatever it is, you ask Mechila. You, you, you hurt the person. The person may have lived a whole year with the hurt. Or maybe 20 years with the hurt. You call them up and you apologize. We understand what it means. I say, slach lanu, forgive me because I sinned to you. atone me, kifashati, I sinned to you. The question is, how does this work with Hashem? We say, He says, Don't think it's not a literal interpretation that it means that basically Hashem was devastated as a result of you did of what you did, and therefore you're asking for forgiveness. That would be a little strange because can a person really say that his sin transformed God? His sin hurt Hashem. His sin affected him. The So what are you asking forgiveness for? So that means I can't do anything to you. If I can't do anything to you, then there's no forgiveness. Now think about this in human relations. Yeah. If I come to you and I ask you forgiveness, and you tell me, you so don't exist in my world, that you don't have to ask forgiveness. <laughs> what does that sound like? Yeah, You're going to come to your wife and you say, I'm sorry for what I said. Sorry, I don't. You don't even exist. <laughs> what you said, did, you didn't exist when you said it, so you don't have to ask If you would exist, then you would have a psach by me. Fine. You don't even exist. No. What's that going to look like? You think? What's the? Yeah. You ask mechila because I do exist, and I impact you. On the other hand, yeah. What's the what's the appropriate relationship? If you let everyone exist and fully take over your life, so that means if you make a comment to me that I don't like and it destroys me to my core, so now I have to wait till you ask Mechila in order to come back to existence. That's also a pretty serious challenge. So the Balatanya he touches Mechila here in a much more subtle fashion. Look what he says. He says, Not <laughs> pshat What's the concept of Mechila? What are you asking, Mechila? And let's talk, understand this. You go out in front of your house and you see a little ant. Yeah? And the ant is going yeah, in one direction. And you tell the ant, I want you to go the other direction. And you warn the ant, if not, I'm going to smash you. And even if I let you live, I'm going to kill you in the next world. And the ant looks at you and goes in the opposite direction. Unless you quite uh, have a lot of issues, you're not going to say that your whole day was derailed because the ant didn't listen to you. Even if the ant understood you, which also I don't know exactly how that works, but even if the ant understood you, you have an animal, a pet, who does understand you, yeah? And your puppy, you said, go here! And the puppy says, no, I'm going there, it happens every day. yeah? Always listens to you, loved Afka, right? Always. So what happens? So now you bear a grudge, and the door comes a year later before you'm kippas, I want to ask Michalis, You say, I have to think about it. It's so not be to get hurt by somebody. You have to be, you have to be in the same erech, right? A little kid comes over to you and insults you. Okay, actually, some people. Uh, get very offended, because they're also two-year-olds. <laughs> but, uh, but generally speaking, if a two-year-old comes and says, you know, I hate you, yeah? Okay. <laughs> you have to be be'erich Mechila means, you hurt me. You know, you have a very deep impact on me. Your words are significant to me. Your actions are significant. I had $10,000. You stole $10,000. It's significant. I need the money. I need the money. Somebody takes a penny, you're going to bear a grudge for 25 years because they took a penny from you, they took a nickel from you. I mean, unless you're really desperate. It's not even a Shavah today, a penny. So he says, What's this Mechilah you're asking Hashem? What's Takedinya? What are you asking for? We ask every day. We don't stop. We don't stop. In the places where they say Tachron, even after Shem you don't stop with Mikhillibakar, especially if it comes to Yom Kippur. Ooh. And a whole day, is God listening? Is he taking this seriously? Is he smiling? Is he like, wow, these people really take themselves seriously? Mm-hmm. Like what exactly do they do? What's the Havana here? So hey, hey, listen listen to what the Altadabah says. the Pshat is what you're asking is, you want His Galus HaRotzin. You want to be able to experience His his plan, His will. Len. <speaking in Hebrew> you want that His Rotzin should come back and dwell upon us. Belev shalom v'nefesh You should be able to do His will not half-hazardly or begrudgingly, but with your whole heart and with your nefesh hafeitzah. That's the pshat mechila. Yitoyf is what he says. So no. it's, it's a deep idea. Take the word mechila. The maral says the word mechila comes from the word. What does the word mechila mean? What word? Macha, a dance. The more in tainus, the end of tainus is Asida akadosh baruch hu lasis machalat Hashem is going to make a dance for tzaddikim. circle, no? A circle, right. A circle. How long is that circle going to be? How long is it going to be? How big, how long? Hmm. Depends how many shkatsim we're going to send out. Depends who gets to be in the circle. So we're going to have to have the tzaddikim. You're in that. we are in I'm going to make a tzaddikim. He's going to make a tzaddikim. And it says, everyone is going to point with his finger, zeh. in the middle. That's the end of Masech's tainas. The word mechila comes from the word machel. What's the connection? Machel is a circle, and dancing is usually in a machi, you know, people dance in a circle. One way of dancing, that's the machel atzadik. What's the here? What's the inyin? if I didn't ask Mechila, I'm outside of the Machel. I'm not part of the Machel. I asked Mechila, I want to be part of the Machel. So he says, the Kavanah here is that Ritzayinoy should be Shira Aleinu. Eilecha Hashem Nafshi Yesem. Bittor Ratzin. What's the Indian of this? The Indian is We learned before, if you remember, about davening. He said, what well, is davening? Davening is about kavona. That a person's kavana and machshava tries to experience a and in Hashem that he, his consciousness is that he's a merkove, he's a chariot for God. And he gives him, he says, his soul and his rotsen to have one will and one heart, not to get separated from his yichud and his achdos. From his unity and his oneness. He doesn't say, as we spoke then, he doesn't say not to be separated from Hashem. He says not to be separated from his oneness and his unity. And we explain that those words are very important. Not to be separated from him sounds two things. First of all, it sounds like you could be separated. And second of all, it sounds like there's two separate things. There's him and there's me. I don't want to be separated. What if I want to be separated? I want some independence. So Balatanya says, no, the word is not to separate from his oneness. Everything is really one. But you may not experience it as one, so therefore you separate from His oneness. I'm testing the mics. Ah, huh? <laughs> huh? okay, upset. I, I thought somebody is snoring. <laughs> I'm wondering who's having a good schlaf. Not to separate from His unity. know other, everything is one, and because everything is one, we're already included in His achdos. Elamai, I may not experience it that way. So now let's understand what this means in terms of desire, Ratsan. We all have desires. I have my desires, you have your desires. How deep are these desires? How deep? Depends, there's different desires. A person has a desire to live, that's a pretty deep desire. You have a desire for money, you have a desire for recognition, you have a desire to be comfortable, you have a desire, hopefully, to do some good things. People have different types of ritzay We have some destructive ritzay some constructive ritzoyimus, and everything in between. Very constructive, very destructive. A person has different desires. He's speaking that shuvah here is bitl haratzan. L'vatl ritzoyim elav yisbarach. Sh'yil haratzan echad la'avev shabashamayim. Bitl haratzan. What does bitl mean? The way most people would translate this, if you don't understand what he's saying, is, I don't care about what you want. Be mevatl your yeah, it says in Pirkei battle Batl Ritzayincha, Mepay But then there's another line there. Ase Ritzayincha, Ritzayincha. What's the difference? It's two stages. And that's the key. Bitl if Bitl like you say, I don't care what you want. Sidon Eberstav developed. Nullify your will to him. Nullify your will to him. I have other Ritzayinus? Tough luck. You join the army, I don't care about your Ritzayinus. This is the new regimen. You sleep when I tell you to sleep. You wake up when I tell you to wake up. You eat when I tell you to eat, and you eat what I tell you to eat. And if you deviate, there are major consequences until you learn to conform. That's how you become a match. You want to join the army? This is it. Do you have a choice to join the army? Depends which army it is. Sometimes yes, sometimes not. Depends what you do for a living. (laughs) Okay, it's a separate issue. But the point here is, this is the system. This is this level, this is called Bitl Haratzin. You have a Ratsan, okay, be it Navatl. There's another Ratsun. That's one stage. But here he says, what's Pshat Mechila is? Mechila is you should have his galus aratsun. Sheyashivritsoyno li elias shoira What does it mean? His Haratzin should come back to dwell on us. Lassus ratsina is but on the What it means is I should be able to enthusiastically embrace his Ratzin as my Ratzin, because it's really one. I should really be able to see that there's no two Tzainas. If the truth of man, if the deepest truth of man is that he or she is really Einsoif, is part of Einsoif, which is the whole beginning of the maimer, that the soul is really, birth is God exhaling, Death is God inhaling. In other words, the is really one, completely one. It just assumes a separateness and distinctness in the evolution of the worlds. But the concept of chuv is bringing it back to its source. Bringing it back to its source means that in your true reality, there's only one rotsam. God's will, that is your deepest will. Your deepest will, that is Hashem's will. It's not two separate things. It's only one rotsam. Ah, you tell me that's not the case. <laughs> I have a lot of wills. And I look at Aruch, and I see God has different ritzinus. He has his ritzin. I have my ritzin. Yes, sometimes I'm not fully in touch with myself. That's true. I'm concealed. We all have blockages. And when I have blockages, I have a lot of different desires. And it's a very, this is something we all understand in different situations. A person has an addiction. I'll give it in a simple addiction to food, okay, if he would be completely in touch with his own body energy, he wouldn't want this poison, it's poison, it's mamish poison for him, so why does he want it? Because he is not completely whole, he has a void, he usually has a pain that he's trying to run away from, that's what it usually does, and people have different outlets to run away from their pain. Or there's another instinct in him that's taking him away from who he is. So yes, he has a very strong rutsen. But how deep is the rutsen? It's not very deep. What do I mean it's not very deep? I think I told you once. I once read a fascinating study about addiction. That when people were diagnosed with a terminal illness, majority of addiction cease. person is told you have four months to live. If he would have been told you have sixty years to live, he would have to be in twelve step programs, and he would have a relapse for the first six years, and only when his wife throws him out of his house and he loses all of his kids, maybe he'll actually go into recovery and take it seriously. He was told that he has six weeks to live, three months to live, the addiction was gone. What happened? Huh? <laughs> but you But ha- you have to follow up with it. So you have to hire you have to hire a shoot. You have to hire an inman. If you can follow up, that's fine. That may also be a good way to eliminate addiction. I'm saying it's a new treatment plan. I heard what he said. Uh I heard what he said. Yeah, it's very interesting. What's the pshat of this? The pshat of this is when a person suddenly realizes they have six weeks to live, everything changes. You become in touch with a different part of yourself. If somebody was told you have two hours to live, how would you spend those two hours? How would we spend those two hours? right? If somebody if somebody becomes aware, it's a whole different... You have to crystallize who you really are and what you really care about. Usually I don't have to crystallize that. There's always a tomorrow. There's always the next day. There's always the next week. But when there's a certain situation, Khalilah shouldn't happen in such a negative way, it challenges a person. You know, there was a professor a few years ago. He wrote a book called The, Le- uh, the Last Lecture. The the, was the Last Lecture. A professor in Pittsburgh. In, huh? Really yeah, actually. Randy Bach. He was diagnosed with a terminal illness and universities have an interesting concept called the last lecture. You basically, a professor gets up and is asked one question. If this would be the last lecture you would be giving to your students forever, what would you say? What would you say? Or to put it in the the vernacular of uh, a more Jewish vernacular, if you were to give one shear your whole life and this is your only she'er, your last she'er, what would you say? What would you say? So they invited this professor in Pittsburgh, Randy Pausch, to give a last lecture. What they didn't know was that it was his last lecture because he was diagnosed with a terrible illness. And he didn't reveal it till the middle of the speech. And he said, they invited me to give my last lecture. It is the last lecture. And he gave his last lecture. He died shortly after. They turned it into a book. It was a a moving lecture. What happens then? It's not that the person is recreated. Parts of the self that you can afford to ignore in moments of luxury, you can't afford to ignore. And therefore, addiction ceases. Because as deep as addiction is, it's not etzem hanefesh; It's not the core of the soul. So I may have strong desires. So what's tshuva? Tshuva means, I tell God, I want to be able to feel your will as my will. Open me up to your world. In other words, open me up to my world. Let me experience my alignment with you so that I can experience my alignment with me because we are one. So that your will becomes my will. Or in the Lashon of Lekut she yashuv Ritzoinu Eliyash Shire What I mean is, Will should come back to dwell on us. That we should do His will belev shalom. There could be bitlarots and eskafya. I'm not in the mood of davening today. I say, okay, I'm not in the mood. I'm not in the mood of waking up. You're in an army. You wake up. You're not in the mood. You're not in the mood. Do 900 push-ups. That you are in the mood. You do it. That's the first stage of bitlarots. That's not the bitlarots in here. That's an important concept too. Discipline, obedience submission to a higher value, etc. We all have to live that way. If you would only wake up when you're in the mood of waking up, how often would you wake up? We have a button, snooze, so you have 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, but at some point you got to wake up. Who wants to wake up? Yeah. What did I say the other day? Somebody told me the definition of consciousness is the annoying time between naps. Who needs that time? Just continue napping. So we have that concept, if I only do things when I'm fully identifying with them, then, you know, whatever, life can't work that way. You need a skafia. But here he's talking a much deeper bitla rotsam. Bit means there's no separate rotsam. My rotsam becomes bottled because I feel his rotsam and I know that's my rotsam. I want to... So in other words, what am I davening for? Slach avinu ki chatanu is? I'm asking God, I should be able to see myself as you see me. I should be able to see... My will, as you see my will. I should be able to identify with your rots and for me. I should be able to see my life today from your perspective. I should be able to hot-sync. They still call it a hot-sync. My iPhone schedule with your iPhone schedule. My iPhone should be part of your iPhone. <laughs> So it's, it's basically what I'm asking is that when uh, I ask Michyler, I ask that I should live every minute like it's the last minute. In sync with Hashem. I wouldn't. I wouldn't without want to say it's has, so pessimistic. Right, without having to resort. Well, to I I should live a every way. minute as a the minute. The bro spoke about in the now. Carpe diem. The Bro spoke once in the now. Living now. Living live the, in the, the now. now. That's all. Living in the now. It's always living in the now. Yeah, the Domus Sela is, is only the last thing. Uh? The Domus Sela in the Rigs of Alta Tov is only the last thing that you fall back on. Right. The yeah. Domus Sela. Yeah. In terms the of, because, of Misa, the Asa and Misa. be the first repent place. Repent one day before you. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. So the Asay in the Mish- Mishnah in Ovos is the what he calls Bitlaratzen. Yes. There's two states. One Bitlaratzen is literally I'm a Vatal. I obliterate my will before your will. I tell my commander, I'm not in the mood of training today. He says, I really don't care. I tell my employer, I'm not showing up today. <laughs> Can't work that way. If you're not showing up today, don't show up tomorrow. Right? So I have to say, you know, I'm not in the mood, but I'll do it anyway. The question is, who is deciding that for me? And what is the value that is causing me to be mevat to If I'm under a dictator and an oppressing force, then you've got to get out of that then you should never submit your will to a dictator who wants to destroy your life. You should stay away from that. That's where we often get confused. We hear the word bitl haratzin and we romanticize it and we sometimes give away our will to criminals or to abusers or to people who don't have our interests in mind. We're not talking about that. The first stage of bitl haratzin is the person who surrenders his will to the commander, the commander cares for him, the commander wants him to be a good soldier, doesn't want to torture him. But a good soldier needs discipline. We all understand that. I wake up in the morning, I have a good reason to wake up. I'm not going to wake up to serve a dictator. I'm waking up to serve God. But here he's talking about mechila. That's not shuvah. Truva means to be able to experience ratzen HaShem as your ratzen. In other words, I want to be able to see my day like you see it. I want to be able to identify with your will for me. Your will for me should be my will for me. And that will is going to be an infinite will. That will is going to have no fears. That will is going to have no boundaries. That will is going to spring out the infinity of your soul. That will for you sees in you the way you are part of Ain Saif. So that's a whole different will. Why do you bring Machal? So that's the concept of Machal. That's why Mechil is part of Machal. When when I'm experiencing fragmentation, I'm out of the dance. I'm outside of that Machal. I'm outside of that Achdos. When you have a circle dancing, there's something very heavenly about it. Because even though you have very different personalities, but everybody makes up one circle, and if you take out one, there's a missing link. No pun intended. And you have the missing link, the circle is incomplete. Every person becomes indispensable to that circle, and as we hold hands, we create one energy. And yet, the Gemara says, everyone is maribet boy on Hashem. The Kedusha slavery of it says, what's pshate, kol echad v'echad maribet what like this? They're pointing fingers to God. Here, here, here here's the guy. <laughs> so he says, "Betzboi the Slevi, the B'etzboy comes from the word Seva, color. Etzba meets finger. Etzba also comes from the word Seveya, and one of the malachas of Shabbos, dying, coloring, right? Seva, a color, a color. So he says, everybody serves God in a different color. No two people could serve Hashem in the same color. So he says, and there's always the arguments: who got the right God? My God, ain't your God, right? That's what Jews are fighting about for five thousand years. Kfirik, 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 kfirik. Your God is not my God. So he says, mezeh." <laughs> Everyone points with his color. He says, and but he says, and they're all right. God is right there. They're all right. Maribet v'oy mezeh. But yet, it's one machal. What makes it one machal is differences doesn't mean fragmentation. Differences means. I have my place in the dance, you have your place in We're the equally dance. Distant from the center. Huh? Equally, equally distant from the church. center, exactly, as in a real circle. And therefore, equally distant from the center, and therefore equally close to each other and to the center. So so mechila really means, God, get me back into the dance. I fell out of the dance. Life has a beat, and you got to dance to the beat. You ever see people who sing off-tune? It's one of the more horrible things for the ear, right? It's a beautiful niggin, and somebody's singing off to. When I was a kid, I was once in a choir. One of these kids' choirs, Ellie Lipsker's choir. He just died a few months ago. He had this choir since Sechves, before Bayez Shani. So uh, we used to sing with Joe Amar and, uh, you know, these. Uh, Mardukheb and David, when he was still uh, developing. So, uh, I, rem- I remember once we sang a niggin'. It was on stage. It was a big concert. And uh, there was a guy near me and he got the tune wrong. And he finally got the tune, but he got the pitch wrong. And then he got the beat wrong. And it created such a uh, um, dissonance. Dissonance, exactly. For the ear, I still <laughs> remember how poor Ellie Lipsker was furious. He was so furious, the dissonance, the dissonance, right? You're, you're, you're singing a song, but it's the wrong song. Or you may be the right song, but it's the wrong beat, it's the wrong pitch. So Rabbi Nachman says in everything has a niggin, everything. Da, La everything has a niggin. There's nothing in the world that doesn't have a niggin. The birds know it very well at 4.30, four 5 o'clock in the morning. they're niggin here in Muncie. is very, very nice, loud niggin. Huh? You hear, their shit in the morning. They never get lazy. No problem. It's very powerful when you hear how nature sings. Everything has a nigan. That's why Peirik Shira, the frogs, have. everything has a nigan. And Reb Nachman says, Apicursus He nigan. It's also a nigan. He says, but you're singing the wrong nigan. It's a nigan, but you're singing the wrong nigan. So, what's mechila? Mechila means... I fell out of the circle. I fell out of the dance. I'm dancing, but it's dissonance. I'm not dancing to my own beat. I'm not dancing to my own rhythm. I'm not dancing to my own harmonious oneness, which is one with Hashem. In other words, I'm disaligned. So I have to create a whole substitute dance. And it's very hard to create a substitute dance. It takes a lot of work and energy. We're creative spirits, so we do it. Animals don't do it. They stick to the dance. So with animals, you'll never see deviation, unless they hang around people, right? <laughs> Dogs usually don't need therapy, unless in Los Angeles or New York, they need a lot of therapy. <laughs> by the door Rashi says even the behemis hischisu darkam, because they hung around people. Animals are part of the dance. I never saw a bee. I went to visit a beehive the other day. I got dressed up. I went to visit a beehive. I'm fascinated by these things. And I'm looking at these bees, yeah? They live for 30 days, they work 12 hours a day, and they die from exhaustion. None of the bees said, I'm not in the mood. Or, why did you create me a bee? I wanted to be a cat. That's it, I'm going to therapy. I'm upset at the queen bee for creating me. I wish I would have... They don't have these... There's no identity crisis. They don't... You win, you're in a dance. They know it's machal, it's one big dance. With us, nobody knows what hit them. Ayaka. Who am I? Who am not? Why am I alive? What am I? Should I be this? Should I do that? Everyone has an identity crisis every few hours. That's pshat. So the mechila he says is basically that the person says, "I want to be able to be part of your dotzim. I want to be able to experience myself and my true oneness as part of Ein That's what he's asking. So, the summation of what we discussed was what's the concept of asking forgiveness? Asking mechila. mechal mechalanu. We say every morning, every afternoon, every evening, Slachlanu avinu, mechalanu malkeinu. Of course, in the and we always talk about mechal mechalanu. What's the concept of all of this? Does it mean literally. I hurt you, I harmed you, I damaged you, Khalilah and I ask you to forgive me. He says this has to be understood here in a much deeper way. What is the deeper way to understand it? So again, you read these words, and you can understand it a little superficially, and then you can go one step deeper. When you read these words, it seems like the Balatanya is saying, you can't harm God, you can't do anything to Him. Imchatasa matifiloi, my yina machila. Well what are you gonna what are you asking forgiveness for? It's like a little baby comes and uh, tries to punch you, right? You don't even you barely feel it. You weren't hurt to be able to apologize to apologize. It's not taifasmaqam, it's not uh Im Takta Matitunloy, not your and not your titkus. Mami Yatcha Yik. So he says the union of the Mikhilah is that his Ratsan should dwell on us that we should be able to do is rotsam with a complete heart. So, let's explain it a little, little, with a little more clarity, perhaps. (coughs) (coughs) And we'll soon see how this applies also to people. If you hurt me, you hurt me for real. I'm emotionally, I'm, I'm emotional, I'm sensitive, I'm weak, I'm frail. And we're all weak. Every, we all have our weaknesses, we all have our, our sensitivities. I don't know if the word is weakness. We have our vulnerabilities. If I have a sore spot, and you choose to punch that spot, it's going to kill, it's going to hurt. We have sore spots. We're humans, we're vulnerable people. somebody really hurts me, I'm affected by it. I may be affected by it, unless I have very thick skin, or I'm very cold, or I'm very indifferent, or I'm very tough, or I'm very cynical, or I'm very detached, or I'm emotionally dead. or Or, I'll do it in the other extreme, I have a unique confidence, a unique emotional, wholesome confidence. I may be actually hurt and bruised and wounded. And I walk around with those bruises. And some of us are not only bruised, but we're tattooed. And there's a big difference between a bruise and a tattoo. Somebody asked me, why does Torah prohibit tattoos? I said, it's one of the most important prohibitions in the world. People hurt you in life, but now you have a choice. Is it going to become a bruise or is it going to become a tattoo? If it becomes a bruise, it still hurts, but after a few days, it'll go away. But some of us... Tattoo the experiences into our skin and it remains there. So that's a whole different experience. That's a choice. Huh? That's a choice. At some point, it becomes a choice. When I'm four years old, it's not a choice. When I'm nine years old, it's not a choice at all. But uh, at some point, it becomes a choice, yeah. At some point it becomes a choice of how to interpret my experience and what to do with it. It becomes a choice. If you leave the nine years old. Unless you remain four years old, yeah. It's the analysis you just made. Yes. Yes. Now, whether the person is tattooed or even if the person is bruised, but the pain is there, And I feel dejected by this person. I feel hurt by this person. Now, when this person comes to me and asks Mechila, it takes courage to forgive. But I'm capable of forgiving, putting the past behind us, seeing the person is remorseful. He's also weak. He also makes mistakes. He's apologizing. He regrets it. He wants to begin a new chapter. He wants to... uh, Recreate our relationship, that's what forgiveness is, and it's a very powerful idea. But what happens during that whole period between the hurt and the asking of forgiveness? We were alienated. Balatanya says with Hashem, that never happens. He will never ever be alienated from you. That can't happen. Imchatasa matifaloy doesn't mean, like many people learn, he couldn't care less about you. It means there's nothing you can do that will ever damage the relationship. Nothing. He will always remain present in the relationship. Just like imagine a person who's extremely, extremely confident and wholesome. They know exactly who they are. You could now call me names. You could say a lot of things to me, right? I'm good. I'm fine. I'm not destroyed. I'm not bruised. This is about your experience more than my experience. Not because I'm arrogant, but because I know, I know who I am. Rabbi Nachman of Breslev had many opponents. He once came to a chasana. That's what they say. Somebody started to scream at him. Somebody from his opponents started to holler at him. He was calm. He was calm. He was collective. He didn't answer. The man let, finished letting out his ear. Whatever you want to call it, his venom. So one of his chassidim, one of his, Gabba is one of his chasidim, says, I don't understand. I can appreciate the fact, you know, you didn't punch him in the nose. I got that. You're a big red. (laughs) I can appreciate the fact you didn't scream back. You didn't go down to that place. But I can't understand how you remained so calm inside. On the outside, I get it. You're in control. But how do you remain calm on the inside? You were unfazed. You were fine. So Rebbe Nachman says, I want to ask you a question. Let's say you come into the and He tells this fellow. And somebody comes over to you and says, Yankel, ganeth, give me back the 75,000 ruble that you borrowed two years ago. Give it back to me, ganeth. You're like, what? Oh, now you're making. Uh, you don't know me, you of you Gosling. He goes to the mic. There were no mics then, but uh, he goes to the stage. Stands on a chair. There's a of a Gosling, a lowlife, a terrorist. $75,000. you're like, I don't know if I ever met you. What's your name? Oh, now you're making. He says, Who do you think I am? I said, What am I? You're Yankel Finkelstein. He says, No, 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 no. My name is Shmeryl Cohen. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I thought you were somebody else. So maybe I look like him. And he says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I didn't realize it's you. I thought it was somebody else. This of takes money. He keeps on denying it. Two years I'm chasing him and the guy doesn't give me my money. I desperately need the money. Okay. Rav Nachman says, would it, how long would it take you to recover from this experience? A year? Two years? Twenty years? And he would say, how much therapy do you need to deal with? He says, "Actually, it'll be fine." Says, Why? Because the guy, the guy didn't know. The guy, the guy wasn't screaming at me. He was screaming at somebody else who he thought was me. Ibn Nachman said, "And that guy was also not screaming at me. He was screaming at the me that he thinks he knows, which has nothing to do with me." The only difference is, in your case, he doesn't know your name. And by me, he happens to know my name. He just doesn't know who I am. Why should I get insulted? <laughs> Not bad, huh? But for that, you have to be an internal person. You have to know who you are. He knows my name. So he knows my name is Nachman Ben Feige. Okay, so what? So you know me because you know my name? By you, he didn't know your name. He you thought you were... You're Shmetl Koyen. So he didn't know your name. By me, he knows my name. What does it have to do with me? He happens, there's a label on me, this is my name. He doesn't know me, so he's not screaming at me. He thinks he's screaming at me. The other guy also thought he's screaming at you. He's not screaming at me. He's screaming at the me that he imagined he knows. This is how wholesome people live. What's the beauty of this? The beauty of this is I don't have to become alienated from you, even during that time. If you bruise me and you tattoo me and you shake me up, so to be in a relationship with you makes me weak. If you're the person who insults me every Monday afternoon, I'm not going to be with you. Bye, goodbye Charlie, you're out of my life. Dumb. But if I'm in a very wholesome place, I can be here for you, even when you completely misunderstand me. Why? Because I'm not being defined by your interpretation of me. You with me? So this is a very critical point, because in a relationship sometimes people hurt other people. If I am in a position of weakness, then you're my enemy. And that's it. I have to cut you off from my life to survive. But if I could be fully present in the relationship, I can have compassion, I can have sensitivity. Not because I like being insulted. I don't think Reb Nachman liked being insulted. But he appreciated the fact that it really had nothing to do with him. When we judge other people, we spoke last Thursday from the Baal Tev, when we judge other people, we're judging ourselves. Whenever anybody judges anybody else, they're not talking about anybody else, they're just talking about themselves. Everybody sees the world from their perspective, and that's how they judge people. Whenever somebody comes to me and says, well, you know, you know, let me tell you about this guy, I tell you're not talking about, just remember, if you want, I'll listen to you. Just keep the lashnara down. But remember, you're not talking about that guy. You're talking about yourself. That's it. You're talking about. You know about that guy less than I know turtles in New Zealand. What do you know about this guy? What do you know? You read an article in some stupid magazine. What do you know? Don't you? Don't think you're talking about him. You're talking. All you're talking is about yourself. That's it. Well, When you point a finger at somebody, simultaneously you're pointing. Three fingers at yourself. In other words, much more than you're pointing at him, you're talking about yourself. They say there was once a, a, a Jew who decided he's an art connoisseur. You know people who decide that they're artists and they go to museums, they fall asleep, but they go to museums, they go to operas, they go to concerts, to the symphonies. They sit down and they're on their phone or they fall asleep. But it's culture. So uh, this Jew goes to the Louvre, you know, the Louvre in Paris, And he makes, you know, he's became an expert. So he's in this uh, very uh, elite art gallery. And he's looking at these paintings with this critical eye. So the museum curator is standing there and he says, What are you looking at? He didn't say it in Yiddish. So the Jew says, I'm trying to see if there's any depth in these uh, paintings, if there's any great talent and genius. He says, listen, young man, I don't know who you are. But these paintings are not sitting on the throne of judgment now. You are. <laughs> <laughs> First not a garage sale. <laughs> yeah. They are not being judged. Their genius has been established by people greater than you and I. You're the one being judged now. If you could be a typhus, you can't be a typhus, which is fine. <laughs> you know, people think, Ooh, let me decide... Make sure that... <laughs> this is true in many, many areas, right? Nobody—they're nobody, they're not being judged. You're being judged. That's the balshamtiv's <laughs> chiddush. Nobody judges anybody else. They just judge themselves. This doesn't mean you're not allowed to have opinions. Don't confuse this with the view that you're not allowed to have opinions about anything. You're allowed to have opinion. You need to have opinion, but you always have to be open to discovery. Open to discovery. So therefore, when I come from that space, what does forgiveness mean? What does forgiveness mean in that space? This is the Chidoshah. What does forgiveness mean? For the perpetrator it means, he has to be able, number one, to ask forgiveness. What does it mean for the victim who really wasn't a victim? What does it mean for that person? The Medrash Rabbah tells a story in Bereshis that on Tuesday, it's a metaphor, but it's very powerful. On Tuesday, Hashem creates all the grass, all the produce, the world of botany, plants, bushes, all produce, all, but He also creates all the minerals, everything in the earth, all the treasures of the earth, what grows from the earth, what is contained in the earth, including metal, including barzal, iron. So the Medrash says, When the trees observed metal, particularly iron, they began trembling. You know why? You have this tall cedar tree, this tall cypress tree. They are very confident, and then they see the iron, and they know, ve We could call it the Heber this is the beginning of the end. They started to tremble. They're like, wow, we thought, you know, we're the masters of the world, and here you have an iron uh, an iron, uh, axe. axe, and bum, you're done. The tree is felled. God said, don't tremble. No axe will be able to cut you down if you do not give the axe part of yourself. Because the handle of an axe is made of wood, wood. <laughs> that comes from you. If you don't give him the wood, he won't be able to function. That's the medrash, What Hashem saying. In simple English, he's telling the tree, nobody can cut you down without your own consent. If you don't allow him to cut you down, he can't cut you down. He can do what he does. This man was screaming at Reb Nachman, you're this, you're that, The moms are gone. you know how people are. I only cu- you can only cut me down if I let you, if I give you the handle. If I deep down think that I'm a horrible person and then you tell me I'm a horrible person, you cut me down. Because I helped you cut me down. I gave you the handle. I gave you my wood. Now you can cut me down. Without that, you can't cut me down. If that doesn't mean it's comfortable, it may not be comfortable, but now I don't have to run away from you. If you cut me down, I have to run away from you. Being in your presence is suicide. But if I could be fully wholesome and know myself from within, I don't have to run away from you even during the hurt. So the Balatanya says, when you speak about forgiveness with Hashem, don't think, before you ask forgiveness, he was like, oh, you're on my bad list. I hate your guts. Oh, you ask mechila? Let me see. Well, think about it. Well, think about it. He said, that's not pshat. He never went away from you. The relationship was never damaged from his perspective. He was completely there. atifaloi means he never allows your sins to block out the relationship. Why? Because you're dealing with the ultimate source of confidence, of course. When I speak with humans, I'm just giving a metaphor. you know. And we're all vulnerable. When you're dealing with the ultimate source of confidence, and with pure infinity, absolute infinity, I am not destroying God's core to the point he's like, oh no, I'm not dealing with this guy anymore. <laughs> I'm not dealing with this guy. Either I'm in the world or he's in the world. Not together. There's one person Hashem says that about, an arrogant person. Me and an arrogant person can't live in one place. But that we understand. Because an arrogant person, by definition, means I am at the center of the universe. So, what's Mechila? So, now let's go back to our marshal with people. What is real forgiveness? Real forgiveness is this person may be wholesome, but I ask you forgiveness. You know why I ask you forgiveness? Because I lost my relationship with you. Because I don't know you anymore. As a result of doing what I did or speaking the way I did, I don't have you anymore. I don't have you in my life. I don't have you in my life. You may be present, but I can't experience you anymore. I alienated myself from you. So what's mechil? I want to go back to that circle. I want to go back to that dance. I want to be able to be with you. Somebody yesterday wrote me On the sheer. Very nice, Agdala. I appreciate it. I just want to look. I don't have you anymore. What do I mean I don't have you anymore? I alienated myself from you. I can't experience life together with you. So therefore, Michila reads, I'm trying to find you again. What does it mean in the Nimshel? What does he say here? There's really oneness in the world. But what happens is, I'm asking Michilah because I can't feel, Hashem, I can't feel your ruts anymore. I can't identify with your will. In other words, I cannot see myself in your light. I cannot see myself from your perspective. I cannot see my oneness with you anymore. And therefore, my will and your will are completely two separate wills. In other words, I'm only in touch with my superficial will. So mechila is, I want to be able again to realign myself with your perspective of me. I want to be able to realign my identity the way it is one with your identity. So therefore, it's about the Bital haratzon that our Ritzayinah should not be separate. I should realize, as we spoke previously, that there's the oneness is absolutely there. So I ask Mechila in order to be able to experience you with full enthusiasm and emotion to completely be present in that relationship. That's what Mechila means. That's the Slach and the Mecha l'anu. It's not that before the Mechila there was no relationship. On the contrary. It was always there. Mm -hmm. Stam, uh, Mm -hmm. for those who are more familiar with this, you'll appreciate it more. I'm just going to say an interesting little vart, a little story. I heard this from Rabbi Khan once. Uh, He said that somebody once came out from the Rebbe. He was a Ayichidus by the Rebbe. He was a private audience with the Rebbe. And he came out, and he was shaken up. And he tells Rabbi Khan he says, <laughs> The Rebbe is mamish of me. The is mamish upset at me. He's very upset at me. He was shaken up, shaken up. The Rebbe is Apparently the Rabbi shared with him some uh, words of uh, critique or whatever he shared with him. And uh, he was a prominent person. He was, uh, you know, an active person. So there was a lot to talk about, I guess. And uh, he says, The Rebbe is mamish of me.'" Rabbi told him, he says, that's not a problem. That's good. That you shouldn't be worried about. I'm worried about something else. <laughs> you shouldn't get upset at the Rebbe. That's what you have to worry about. <laughs> the Rebbe is upset with you. His love to you is so profound, you don't have to be worried. His upsetness to you is part of his love to you. That don't worry. That relationship is intact. What's going to happen is you get upset at him, and then you cut yourself off. Then you're done. Somebody who's completely connected with you, he's upset at you. That that's, that's good. There's a relationship. Maybe he should be upset at you. Problem is, I get upset the other way. And when I get upset at you, it's like oh. I cut you out of my life. Why do I cut you out of my life? Because you're threatening to me. I don't want you. I don't want a person like you. I can't handle the truth. I can't handle the truth that you will show me in my face. And therefore I want to manipulate you to be able to conform to my insecurities. That's not what you need a Rebbe for. You don't need a Rebbe to have somebody you could manipulate to tell you what you want to hear. That's not what you need a real Rebbe for. If you're looking for a real relationship, real relationships challenge. They intrigue you. But there's a premise. The premise is, I will not separate from you. There's nothing you will do if you remain honest and accountable. There's nothing you will do that will cause me to say, this person is unworthy. That will not happen. Once you have that premise, you can build. This is something you can build on. It's not a house of cards. It's not a house of sand. It's not like a castle you make on the beach in sand. One wave comes, boom. A lot of relationships are that way. Yeah, You know you build these beautiful castles on the beach, you remember? And then a wave comes, boom! It's all over. That's where the relationship goes. It's a foundation built on absolute trust and loyalty. And therefore, I could critique. I could challenge you very deeply. And it can even be painful. But when you get upset at the Rebbe, you get upset at him, now you're cutting yourself off. So Mechila means, I want to find you again. I want to find you. So the man says, I know God, you were here, but I lost you. I lost seeing me from your perspective. I don't see me from your side anymore. I don't see my will from your will. I don't see the achtos, the oneness. That's what Mechila means. Don't think that the relationship was actually damaged. It was the ability that you should be able to serve him, that his Ratzin should come back to you. You should be able to align yourself once again with one will, with one desire, his Ratzin, because it's really who you are. But you don't know it anymore. You don't know it anymore. And therefore, part of asking forgiveness from God is, may sound a little funny, but it's true. It's also asking forgiveness from yourself. It's really the ability to forgive yourself for having a part that's pretty stupid. It's really the ability to be able to ask forgiveness from yourself and say that even though there is an element in me that can damage myself, there's an element in me that remains completely pure and loyal and wholesome. The ability to be able to understand that and to appreciate that, that's also part of the Mechila. According to what we just learned, it's not, not just a little bit, this is, this is the entire Mechila, you're asking yourself. What do you mean? So you can connect to, uh, back to Hashem, because that was never never cut. It's in our perception that it was cut. Beautiful. So you're saying that's really what it's about because since the relationship was not severed, it's just your perception that it was severed, you have to be able to trust that part of yourself and say that I am not the evil person that others think I am or even I think I am, which is much worse. I am not that person. To be able to reveal in yourself that element that was never disconnected. Unconditional love. The unconditional love, right. But what Reb Nachman said to that, to that person, uh, about that person that was yelling at him, we can say it to ourselves. Stop, look, stop yelling at yourself. Right. You're not talking to the real love Right, right. You have to have self awareness. Yeah, in other words, what Reb Nachman said to, about that person, he's not screaming at me. He's screaming at somebody who he thinks is me. It has nothing to do with me. So we have to also say that to ourselves. I have been screaming at me. But do I know me? If I could get to know me, I don't have to scream. I can embrace. And I can also understand the fact that I could this could be a distortion of confusing me with me. What do they say? Definition of chutzpah is you come to the therapist because you have a split personality and then you want a group discount. <laughs> So uh, you want a group discount? You uh, you want to give yourself a discount because you realize you're not made up of one. <laughs> There's a group There's a group here. So that's the vart. Umayin One amechil. Th- one, two, three, four, five, six. Yutayf is the anyan. This is a very, very rich point. Extremely rife of art. I'm not thinking of the marshal here. Yes. But I'm not, not to him I'm not the person you think I am Yes. What about if you explain that to the person? <coughs> and you continue. Yeah. To, uh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Is a shela. What do you do? Listen. Sometimes you need to create borders. If a person is not ready to show any accountability. And readiness to hear another perspective you have to have borders you have to, in a good day, you have to have borders, certainly in a bad day good good fences good neighbors make right, even good neighbors need fences, certainly bad neighbors need fences yes, yeah. There was a yid who I saw once. A yid wrote a letter to the Lubavitcher Rebbe that his neighbor is a horrible neighbor. He doesn't know what to do. He drives. You know, sometimes you have a mazel with a neighbor, and shigah, Nothing is ever good enough, right? Your kid walked into my garden. You left a piece of garbage. You did this, 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 this. Whatever you do is not good. I can't have off and God. So he writes that he has such a shachem. We ask every day. Mishachin There's something special about a neighbor. a kind of gained the yard because there's no vacation. There's no vacation. It's 24 hours. So uh, he asked the Rebbe Neitzah. So the Rebbe said to him as follows: If you will learn how to deal with the shachin ra that you have in your own heart, automatically it will transform the shachin that you have geographically near your house. Everything is a mirror. You have your own neighbor inside of you that you haven't dealt with. Why don't you deal with him? <laughs> Finish dealing with him, the other neighbor will be worked out. Now this is very fascinating. What's the connection? But the world is connected. The world is connected. Our own, that's the point of this whole Maimir. The cosmos rotates on our consciousness. <laughs> Me dealing with myself somehow affects my neighbor. Even though my neighbor doesn't know about my work, but it affects my neighbor. So, therefore, you're dealing here with a concept of uh, sometimes you need to have, yes, if somebody is, is, is con- continues to hurt you and is not going to ask Mechillah, and even when you have a conversation, nothing helps, you have to do what you need to do to protect yourself. There's no question. Some dangerous people out there in the world, they don't learn these Maimorim, they're dangerous. They don't know who they are. They think they're dangerous. But as long as they think so, they are. (laughs) You know what I mean? They say there was once a Jew, a Jewish kid. He was walking and he meets this Indian doctor. You know, Very holistic mind and everything. So he says, how's your uncle doing? I haven't seen your uncle, your dad. He says, oh, my uncle is very, very sick. He says, you tell your uncle that he's not sick. He thinks he's sick. It's all in the mind. He thinks. He thinks. Tell him. Okay, I'll tell him. Two weeks later, he says, how's your uncle? He says, my uncle thinks he died. (laughs) So You know, (laughs) when somebody thinks they're dangerous, they're dangerous. That's their perception of who they are. This is the mode in which we operate. I'm a bully, I'm an aggressor, I'm an attacker, I'm a screamer. I don't even know any other image, any other identity. I once said in Hebrew there's two words. They have the same letters, they mean opposite things. Elame in Hebrew means mute ilaim, Alam, means a bully. <laughs> Called the Alam Gvar. Two opposites. But they're not opposites. Sometimes bullies are those who were muted most as children. And their only way to express their energy is through bullying. So we have to remember that. What you see as a bully may really be a mute person. Somebody who could never speak. So this is his way of getting his validation and owning his space in the world. Sometimes narcissists suffer from the deepest wounds of insecurity and therefore they have no other way of gaining traction in the world but by feeling that they own everything. It's a tragedy. I'll call upon them, that's the Nakuda. When we realize all of this, we could gain perspective. It doesn't mean you don't protect yourself, but it means you don't have to run away from the relationship even during the hurt when you know yourself from inside. That's, I think, on some level, a little bit of a parable to understand it, the way he speaks about it with Hashem. Question? Yes. Well, it's a little bit off the point, but you were speaking about a narcissist, someone who uh, has such people insecurity that they can't get traction in the world. So what's the that given to a narcissist? Take the mirrors off the bottom of the ocean, and what do you tell them? How do they get traction in the world? Mm-hmm. What foot? What's the etzah for a narcissist? Yeah what is it called? Narcissistic personality disorder, right? It's a condition. It's a a serious condition. Narcissism is a serious condition. But here's the prerequisite. If the narcissist is open to the fact that he has a problem and he can take responsibility for it, the paths of healing are open. The challenge is not narcissism. The challenge is... Exactly. That the narcissist will do everything to deny it to others and to himself. And usually, people who are real narcissists are professionals. They have charisma, they have charm, and they, have, they always make friends in shul. They have like this group. You know, they're good with the Gabai, they're good with the Rabbi. They, they know how to maneuver their place. They're smart. But they're very, very ill, they're very sick. And what happens is they create a whole fiasco and a whole facade, and then when you come to their friends, and you say, "You know what this guy does to his wife?" I know of a situation. Uh, this fellow—he's—he's probably—I I know him from what he does. I don't know him personally, uh, but I know him from what he does. So he has a system. Whenever he's angry at his wife, Thursday she goes shopping for Shabbos. They have a house full of kids, and she does the shopping. He stops the credit card, so you know you're in you're in you're in Costco, you're in 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 Evergreen, you're Wesley Kosher, right? And you bought five hundred grocery to feed your kids, to feed to to feed kids, yeah. And right then you buy the count, you know the line was twenty five minutes or forty five minutes, and you're you're a mother and you have three kids in carriages. You understand the matzav, yeah. Even without three kids in carriages, you want to kill yourself by the time you uh, you finish with the shopping, you know, going through the list of your wife and making sure you got the right type of quinoa. But, uh, you know, with the clothes, you need this one, they don't have this, but they have this, they have this, but we're going to die if we eat this or buy this type, etc. By the time you finish shopping, to three hours, you want to die. But now imagine the mother with three kids, and of course the cards don't work. And it's an ongoing, th- not a mistake, mistakes happen. It's intentionally. The crowd worked in the morning. This is to show who's boss and to take revenge. Here you have, a, this, is a, right? this is a sick person. It's a sick, inhumane, cruel person. But the person is not ready to acknowledge. When a narcissist is not ready to acknowledge a problem, now you're stuck completely. Because he lives in it, he justifies it, he blames everybody else. And he's not ready to acknowledge his terrible, terrible mental and moral state. So you have to build the from the outside, That's the first you thing. Yes, yeah. the the yeah, so, th- so, so therefore you have to protect yourself. You have to create very serious borders. And people around them have to say to him that your life is completely heading down. into a, You're going into the abyss. You're going to destroy everything, every relationship you have. Nobody will ever be able to deal with you and trust you. If the narcissist takes full accountability for it and acknowledges it, it's not easy. But then at least he could become aware, and then he could become aware of how it works and what triggers it and how he responds, and then he could gain control. And like in every challenge in life, he can even become a great person. Because any darkness that is confronted creates a light that is infinitely greater than regular light. One of the biggest sides of the Balatanya. Anytime you confront darkness and you deal with it, you will generate a light that you could have never generated if you didn't deal with the darkness. Yisr Na'ar, Mitaika chayshach. Always. It's a very great idea. So that that includes a narcissist too. But without accountability you're not going anywhere. And that's true with everything. It's true with mental illness. It's true with uh with addiction. Yeah. It's true with all serious flaws and vices. The prerequisite for any growth is awareness, awareness, awareness. To take responsibility and to be accountable. And to say, here I am. Heal me. And that's what mechila means. What's mechila? Mechila means I have become disassociated from truth completely. I lost you, God. Help me find you. Let me find your will. Because your will is my will. What's narcissism? What, what is narcissism And its extreme? Narcissism at its extreme is basically saying that there's nothing in the world outside of me. I am, I am God. What did somebody once tell me about somebody? He's a self-made man and he worships his creator. Think about that. Okay? What's your advice to the wife? What's my advice to the wife? Wrong. Take cash. <laughs> i'm not an expert these things you need top experts not rabbis who think they're experts okay so i'm not going to tell you what's the advice for the wife or the advice for the kids you need a top expert opinion how to deal with narcissistic personality disorder and similar situations. You need real experts to give advice, people who studied it, people who know what's going on, people who have a soul, people who are sensitive, people who are empathetic, but people who understand this and studied it. This is not my field of expertise, so it wouldn't behoove me to give advice. would be inappropriate. But I know that whatever advice anybody gives, the prerequisite is awareness. And I also know, based on, I think, a lot of the teachings of Chassidus especially, that often all these things are rooted not in what they look like they look like one thing but they're rooted in something else right altreba always says that in the Shirish things are different than the way they come down yeah sometimes you have a person uh, somebody told me about their child that uh, he's growing up and he's very very antisocial he's very antisocial he doesn't like people he doesn't he runs away from people So this is how he was labeled antisocial with all types of labels. He said they were watching family videos when he was a kid. And they realized he was the most social child. Two years old, three years old, he's running around, he's greeting everybody. They had these videos of the parties, people coming in. He's the most social of their children. They forgot, they forgot that he was the most social. That means something happened. Something happened. So maybe it was the other way. Now they call him Asperger's. He was diagnosed with Asperger's, no empathy, no social skills, no social cues. You live in your own world. And I asked myself, and then somebody sent me an article that somebody, uh, some, scientist did, yeah, uh, there, uh, some scientists are suggesting this now, that it could be the other way around. That some Asperger's, they have so much empathy, they have so much emotional sensitivity that it's too painful. So they shut it off. They shut it down. If you feel so much and you're five years old, it's too painful. Especially when you get a stab. So what do you do? You numb it out. You say, I don't like people. I don't know people. I don't feel... F-. Not because you don't. Because you do. <laughs> it's too much. Or in the Lashon <laughs> of Torah, Lakutu Torah, the iris are too big for the Caleb. The iris are too big. You don't have the kalim for such sensitivity. So what happens? Shvir You get rid of it. Nobody knows it exists in you. They call you Asperger's. So you live your whole life thinking you're a social misfit. You hate people. Really, you love people. Really, you're very close to people. You were just hurt. You don't even know this. So you process yourself in a completely distorted way. What happens if the narcissist is not in such a different position? What happens if the narcissist does not have one day of security in the world. There was nobody there to nurture him, to hold his hand, to make him feel that he has any dignity in the world. Maybe one emotional response was, I can't trust anybody ever. The only one who will ever exist is me and nobody else. Because that's his experience, that's his only way of knowing how to process life. You understand that these, so sometimes what you're seeing is really not what it is in the shirish. And if he can identify these types of qualities, what happens is, he realizes narcissism is not your path to redemption. That's not your path. But the first prerequisite is awareness and accountability of saying, this is what has become of me, and I have to be able to challenge it and to stop the train before it goes down a cliff. And my whole life becomes one big shipwreck or train wreck, I guess. What do you want to say? Oh, I was gonna ask uh, Boyle, what, uh, not not professionally speaking, what would be the what would be a, 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 a way to, a way to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what yeah. would be your aid Sophia? You you can call yes. me all the time, I'm sure for aid, so. what would be your oh, aid and dealing with someone who is that who's in denial. You're like a friend of mine, I once told a story and he said Without names, who was it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't a which one to start. If you'd rather you not answer, I'm 100% get it. But since, since, since it's, it's a question that, that, that I think that I'd like to hear from Nora, I, I just wondered what you thought. I would tell the person you've got to get help. Get a top expert in this area and get help. And I would tell the spouse, you need to educate yourself about these the things. The yes. They have YouTube videos of, of people who deal with the, their borderline. I watched so, them. I, s- I watched them. They have to realize it. And the spouse also asked to know. What happens with spouses, As somebody told me they were married, a situation was a borderline personality. That's another, horror, could be a horrible situation with borderline. But the person didn't acknowledge it. So they happened to know this guy, a husband is a very, very kind person. He blamed himself for all the problems. He thought he was the worst husband in the world. And he stretched out backwards. He would make hundreds of tumble sauces a day, psychologically speaking, to appease his spouse. But nothing worked. Because it wasn't they had an argument about when he comes home or or you know what they're doing for Shabbos. These things you could negotiate But this was a a, a, a mental challenge. It was a very serious issue without accountability. And he told me the difference was, somebody gave him a book called Walking on Eggshells, and suddenly he discovered, which is about this, and suddenly he realized that his life was completely in disarray. It wasn't a normal situation. He He didn't even know what to expect. He didn't know what a normal life looks like. Now, a person who takes responsibility for the fact that they have a challenge and they're ready to do the work, even though it never be- it's never—it's never perfect. But they're ready to do the work. Some of these people become great heroes. I know some of these people. Now the other way around, I know another fellow who was married to borderline for years, had a lot of children with them. Said he's going to make this marriage work because he wants his kids to have a good life. And he told this to me recently, and his life was so miserable he was at the verge of suicide. He couldn't deal with it anymore. And his mother drove down in the middle of the night to his house, and she took him out. Married man, she took him out. She took him to her house, to her and her husband's house. And she saved his life. She nurtured, nurtured him back to emotional health. He blamed everything on himself. He became a shadow. He became a shadow of a person. There was no person left anymore. Because he was not educated about the reality he was facing. It's very important for people to know what they're dealing with. To speak to the right people, to read the right information, to be able to know what is my issue and what is not my issue, where I take responsibility and where I can't take responsibility for you. I can't live your life. I can't go to the bathroom for you. I can't eat for you. It would be nice if somebody can eat for me, but it doesn't work that way, right? It would have been nice. Mitzvah shabegufa. You can't be a manor shliach. The Tzivos says, yeah. Some things are mitzvah shabegufa. You have it in positive and negative. I can't heal for you. I can heal. I can barely heal for myself. I can't heal for you. So that's uh, that's what that that's um... Yes, okay. The gross, the gross brother's advice that he gave the wedding. <coughs> be accountable, don't be perfect. The day I got engaged, I called my brother, the day before, the day after. And I asked him for advice. Or well, he called me, whatever the situation was. So he told me a very memorable line. He said don't try to be perfect in your marriage. I know you. You will not be. You will, be. you will fail again and again and again. You're going to do everything wrong. What I suggest to you is don't be perfect. Just be accountable. Just be accountable. In other words, when you make a mistake, don't run away from the planet. Own it. Own up to it. Don't run. Be present, be accountable. Because that's what you need. That's the key. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at ww.theyeshiva.net slash donate.